This message is intended to be listened to after viewing a short video clip from Indiana Jones. To find this clip, visit joyeugene.com blockbuster or click the link in the description below. You can watch it now. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? We call the dog, Indiana. Ha, ha, ha. All right. Sorry, I had to do that. What an awesome movie. How many of you love Indiana Jones like me? I love Indiana Jones. I mean, I remember watching it as a kid and thinking, there is nobody cooler than Indiana Jones, right? Who doesn't want to just roll around with an awesome hat, a rocking leather jacket, and a whip? <laughs> People do not mess with you in a leather jacket if you're carrying a whip. You're like, you want some of this right here? I feel like parenting, this is the net, like, these are the necessary tools. I'm just kidding. Well, today, you know, I want to pull out a, a really deep spiritual message uh, from the movie, and I do have three things to give you today from Indiana Jones, really from the whole series, but specifically from this one, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Number one, everybody write this down because this is going to change your life. Don't try and steal the Holy Grail. <laughs> like if you had that in your, if you're like, someday, Holy Grail, just cancel that plan. Number two... Don't date Nazis. <laughs> but she's cute. No, I'm sorry. Hey, what do you think about Hitler? I, I don't. Don't date Nazis, right? You need to stay away from Nazis. And just, I mean, that might change somebody's life today. And then number three, if a 700-year-old person tells you something, they probably know what they're talking about. So you should listen, right? I imagine that guy had the total, like, when I was your age stories, you know. Back in my day, we had horse and buggy. Okay. So those are the, the lessons. Uh, we'll see you guys all at the picnic after church today. Everybody have a great Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I want to talk to you about the topic of wisdom this morning. And I want to ask you this question to set it up. Why do smart people do dumb things? Anybody with me? All the men should just raise your hand right now. All the men. Every man in here, just that's me, sir, right here. Why do smart people do dumb things? things. In the movie clip that we watched, Indiana Jones is told by the knight that's guarding the Holy Grail, when he makes the right decision and he drinks out of the real cup, he says, you have chosen wisely. And unlike the other guy with the understatement of the century, you have chosen poorly. No, no duh. I'm disintegrating. I've had that experience with bad tacos out of a taco truck. You're like, what's happening to me? You know, <laughs> I was like, how many people are going to get offended by that clip today? I was worried about it. Anyways, he was told, you have chosen wisely. And he was able to do three things. And I believe these three things are marks of wisdom. He was able to, number one, look beyond appearances. To look beyond appearances. Number two, he was able to discern what was truly valuable. And number three, he was able to do the right thing. These are three marks of wisdom. The ability to look beyond appearances, to see beneath the surface, beyond what's just surface level, superficial level, to discern what is truly valuable, or you could say eternally valuable, what has lasting worth, and then to do the right thing. These are marks of wisdom. Now, I believe in our culture, these three things are generally very lacking. How many of you would agree? That in culture, we don't have a very wise culture, and, and if you reverse these things, you see what I'm talking about. In our culture, people are obsessed with the way things appear. People are obsessed with appearances. They're obsessed with the superficial. 
And, and how do we know this? Well, there are people in our culture that are literally famous for being famous. I mean, think about this. There's certain families you say, oh, it's this family, and, and you throw their name out, and you're like, oh, yeah, I, we know who they are. Why? Well, because they're famous. For what? Well, because everybody knows about them. It's like purely superficial, purely surface level, obsessed with appearances. You know, plastic surgery and changing our bodies. And you watch the Hunger Games and the crazy people in the Capitol, if you've seen that movie there, and they all are doing these crazy things. It's just, a, it's just an extension of where we're going. That we're trying to fix what's on the outside and looking this way, and we can't look beyond appearances. How about this one in culture, that, that people seem unable to discern what is truly valuable? I mean, regularly we trade the things that are very valuable, like our families or our relationship with God, for things that really don't matter. I mean, if you were to go out into the city, you'd find thousands of people in our city right here running the rat race, trying to get to some goal, to, to grab hold of some brass ring, to some part of a career or some aspect of their um, you know, job, and they're trading their, their time with their kids, or they're giving away their relationship with God, or they're messing up their marriage, and they, they can't see that which is truly valuable. And then lastly, in culture, we see that people seem to have an inability to do the right thing. That even people who are otherwise very smart do dumb stuff. And I fall into that category myself. How about you? From time to time. That even when I know what the right thing is, I know the right direction, I know the way that I should go, I'm unable to do that, to do that thing. I think the scripture was telling us the truth when thousands of years ago it said that when he that sins is a slave to sin, that when we aren't connected with God's plan for our life, when we're not listening to wisdom, we find ourselves unable to do the right thing. Now, the question that comes to us this morning is why? Why is it like this? And I'll, I'll say this to you. It's not because wisdom is unavailable or unattainable. It's not because wisdom is inaccessible. I think in our culture, we talk a lot about opportunity and that maybe people are lacking an opportunity. Well, if we just had more education, then the problems of our society would go away. If we simply had better, a better economy and there was more opportunities financially, then people would do the right things. And I think those factors are something, but they're not everything. I want you to, to, to look at this with me in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Proverbs is the, the book in the scripture that's known as the book of wisdom. And it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20, Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. Now, just really quick pause and notice here, wisdom is a woman. Come on, where are my ladies at? Yeah. Guys, I'm sorry, but yeah, this is accurate here. This is Bible. Um, she says, she says, because guy, we were like, here, hold my beer. I'm going to do something here. I'm going to do something good. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. Now let's dig into this imagery together. Wisdom, personified as a woman, is standing in the street. She's not hiding. She's not behind closed doors. She's standing in the street. And it says she shouts. Wisdom does not speak. Wisdom does not whisper. Wisdom shouts. 
And yet we say, where's wisdom in culture? Well, it's not because it's unattainable or inaccessible or we can't find wisdom. In fact, wisdom is shouting at the top of her lungs in the public square. And she's saying, come to me. Listen in verse 23. Come and listen to my counsel. Come and listen to my counsel. Someone once said, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. I think that's probably good advice for for me and for others, I'm sure. Come and listen to my counsel. I will share my heart with you and make you wise. Wisdom doesn't want to just give you information. Wisdom wants to give you an impartation so that you become wise, not just so you have more knowledge, but so that you know how to look beyond appearances, how to discern what is truly valuable, and how to do the right thing. Because life is complex, isn't it? There's a lot of things happening. You know, if you, if you have children, Ed and I were talking about this. If you have children, you got a, pl- a full plate. But if, you, if you're married, you got a full plate. If you have a job, if you live around any other people, life is complex. And there are going to be challenges and obstacles and opportunities and decisions to be made and all kinds of things in all different spheres of life. And you don't just need to pile up and acquire knowledge. You need wisdom, which is the ability to do the right thing in diverse circumstances and with whatever faces you in life. And so wisdom is shouting in the streets. She's not hiding. She's shouting. She's saying, come and listen, and I will share my heart with you. Not that I will give you information and teach you. No, I will share my heart, meaning I will impart to you a heart of wisdom. I will give you my best. I'll give you my all. We jump to the New Testament, the brother of Jesus, James, in chapter 1 verse 5, he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. You know, I think a lot of times we think, well, if I ask God, it's going to make me seem like I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing or I'm bad. And he says, no, he's not going to rebuke you. God's not going to come and say, well, you asked me yesterday and then you screwed up. So I can't share it with you today. No, God is not up in heaven with his arms crossed saying, I'm not going to help them. I'm not going to tell them what, which way to go. I'm not, that's not what God does. God is saying, I want to share with you wisdom. If you ask me, I'll give it to you. He's a generous God. God wants to give wisdom. So again, if wisdom is accessible, if wisdom is attainable, if wisdom is not hiding, if wisdom is not quiet, wisdom is shouting, then why do we seem to have this incredible lack of wisdom in our culture and in our society and all of the problems and brokenness that flow from a lack of wisdom. Why? Why is that there? And what is going on? Well, I believe this. I think that the problem with w- when it comes to wisdom is not, again, that it's not accessible or not attainable. It's, it has to do with the source of wisdom, the source of wisdom. In other words, where does wisdom come from and what is the What is the fallout of of this? And and I'll read you something in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says this, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. When I read this verse, I say, oh, I get it. I get it. You see, the reason that people can't connect to wisdom is that it starts with fearing the Lord. And what people don't want is to have anyone looking into their life saying, not that way, this way. You see, my friends, we are the Burger King generation. We are the have it your way culture. 
where it's all about freedom in any expression that I decide. Hey, you want to be a woman today? Go ahead. Well, you're a dude. No, but, you, but I feel on the inside, and I want to have it my way. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to real people here in a real city. Well, you know, I, I decide that you know, I had this wife, and sure, I, I made vows to her, but, but, but she, I like her better now. So I want to go that way. Yeah, but that's not wise. Yeah, but who are you to tell me what is, what is right and what is wrong? You see, the problem with wisdom is that people can't, it's not that they can't hear her shouting, it's that they don't want to listen because they don't want God in their business. They don't want God saying, hey, I'm in charge of everything and I made the world and you're part of it and just in case you're confused, you're not me. Right? Do you ever hear the, the, some people think they're God. But God's not confused. He doesn't think he's you. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Well, see, well, this is what happens. Why, why do we not have wisdom? See, wisdom is shouting. Hey, I can help you. Come and listen to my counsel. I want to share my heart with you. I want to help you not be broken in your, your, your ways and not make wrong decisions and choices and actions. I'm preaching so good. My mic's breaking back here. Okay. Um, what is it? It's that we don't want God up in our business. Because God is the foundation. Literally, wisdom starts when we recognize God in his rightful place on the throne of our life. And wisdom is the righteous or the right application of knowledge. You see, knowledge in and of itself is morally neutral. If you have the knowledge to make a bomb, that's not good or bad. But if you make a bomb and blow people up, that's bad. So the way that you use knowledge is what makes it right or wrong. And that's what wisdom speaks to. Wisdom speaks to the moral aspect of the way that we use knowledge. Come on. To know that, that beer tastes good, that alcohol tastes good, to know that, how to make it, to know how to brew it, that knowledge is not in and of itself morally wrong. But if you abuse alcohol and get drunk... And, and use it as, a, as something to, as an idol apart from God to satisfy your soul. Using knowledge that way is inappropriate. The knowledge of sex and how sex works is not wrong or that sex is, is good, but it's, it's taking it outside of the context God has placed it in. Come on, somebody. So knowledge in and of itself is morally neutral, but what we do with it is where wisdom comes in. And here's the thing. Why do people want to reject wisdom? Why is culture almost devoid of wisdom and, and, and has all the requisite brokenness that comes. Because wisdom connects knowledge to morality and morality connects to accountability. And if we don't want somebody looking in our business, we don't want God saying, hey, I'm gonna hold you accountable for what you do with what you know. Did you know you walked into a dangerous environment here today? You're like looking around, what? What do you mean? Well, nobody's gonna do anything to you. It's that when you hear this kind of a message, now, now God is saying, hey, you, you, you know. Now you know. Now the knowledge has been dropped into you. What are you going to do with it? Coming to church, you might think, oh, it's safe. It's great. It's just coming, eat some popcorn, watch a movie. That's great. No, it's a dangerous place because now you're accountable for what you know. And if you ask God, he'll give you wisdom to use it in a right way. What we do with our knowledge is what makes it good or bad. And God gives us wisdom, and wisdom is the guardrails of knowledge. Now, lest you think, oh, here's another message about, you know, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't sleep around. It's all about just cleaning yourself up. No, it's not. 
it, it has to do with identity. It has to do with who you are, with your existence, and with your intrinsic design and inherent worth. You see, when I pull up to the gas station, and I drive a, a VW 2003 Passat station wagon. Four cylinders. <laughs> Gutless. Anyways, when I pull up, if I were to say, my, and it's a gasoline engine, if I were to say to the attendant, hey, put diesel in it, and he's like, ah, this is a gasoline engine. No, 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 no. I want diesel. No, but sir, you have a gasoline car. No, but I want diesel. If I could get him to do that for me and put diesel in my engine, what do you think is going to happen? I might get 10 feet. I don't know. Any mechanics? Would I even get anywhere, Matt? No. Wouldn't even get out of there. I'm going to destroy my engine by getting what I wanted. You see, that's a picture of how we are with God. We say, no, God, I want it this way. I've decided that I am going to uh, engage in this kind of behavior. And God says, look, that's, that's not the way I designed you. I didn't make you that way. Well, God, you're, just, you're trying to put me in slavery. No, I want you to be free to be who you really are. I mean, think about a bird that was like all ticked off, sitting on a branch, looking at the fish. Oh, God, I just wish I could be a fish. Mm, I just want to get in that water. It looks so nice swimming around in there. They can breathe underwater. It's not fair. You are a bird. Fly. God made you a certain way. His, his principles, his laws, his moral conditions are not there to make you a slave. They're there to give you freedom to use the knowledge, all the wonderful knowledge in the world in a right way. Wisdom is the righteous application of knowledge. And wisdom helps us to discern what is truly important. You know, it's sad to me when people, even people that love Jesus, even people that go to church, people that are hearing great messages when they, they prioritize their life inappropriately and they put things first, you know, maybe before or above God. But then they also will trade, you know, people in our culture trade their families for stupid money. You know, when you're 80 and you have a million bucks, but your kids hate your guts, you tell me if that's worth it. That's called a lack of wisdom. Now, am I telling you not to make money? No, go make, bunch of, make a bunch of money. We have a lot of great visions that you can give to. to come on. We're, gonna, we're doing some good stuff, you guys. I'll tell you in a couple weeks. We've got a big thing coming up. No, make some money, but don't put money as your God. Well, I, I don't have, people say, I don't, I don't have time to, to read my Bible and pray. What? What do you mean you don't have time to talk to God? You don't have time. You need to move something out of your life. You know, let me tell you, if I have a bunch of appointments and the president calls and says, I'd like to meet with you, I'm going to clear my schedule because somebody more important wants to talk to me. And yet with God, we're like, oh God, I got to watch Netflix. Oh no, I have this meeting and I don't have time. You do have time. You, you have a wrong priority. So you need wisdom to help you to resort and say, what is most valuable to me? What is most valuable to me? What is most valuable in my life? What is the most valuable thing in eternity? How can I reorganize my priorities, my life, to match the, the things that are truly valuable? As we get ready to close up this morning and get ready to go to the picnic so I can show some fools what Ultimate Frisbee is all about, come on. I'm just hoping some of the guys over 60 come so I can actually compete athletically. Uh, amen. <laughs> 
Amen is just a thing people say when they don't know what to say next in church. But doing the right thing, if having wisdom and connecting with what the right thing to do, it, it really starts with this big word, this powerful word called surrender. That you have to surrender to God and admit that you're not God. Stop being confused about that. And, and recognize him in his rightful place on the throne, not just of the world, but of your world. And to say, I'm going to stop being the captain of my ship. Me and Carrie Underwood are going to let Jesus take the wheel. Which is a funny song, but hey, it's a good point. Like, who's in control of your life? And see, Christians, if you thought, oh, well, God's in control of my life. No, let me tell you. We sing that hymn, I surrender all. I surrender all. Really, for us, it should be I surrender some. Because honestly, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves and honest with each other, we'd say, no, there's, there's, there's room in my life to continue to surrender to God, to make the right choice, and to fear the Lord, because that's where wisdom begins. Not where it ends, it's where it starts. Surrender. Surrender. The other day, Evie was having a really hard time, and uh, she was just really tired. She's our, our five-year-old daughter, and she's just an awesome person, super high energy. She's probably going to take the church over in like two years and um, if she waits that long. And she's just high energy, go, 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 go. And, but she's learning a lesson in life right now. And she was really tired, exhausted. And Bethany and I are like, honey, you got to take a nap. You're going to feel better. Just go to sleep. No, 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 I won't, I won't, I won't sleep. Baby, just sleep. Just close your eyes. She's exhausted. Her eyes are all crazy. She looked a little bit like the guy that drank the wrong grail. And we're like, trust us, trust us, just go to sleep. And she wouldn't. She's fighting, she's fighting, she's fighting. And so we get to the end of the day. So now we've had a four or five hour fight about taking a nap. So we're moving on with the day and she's exhausted. And, and, and I, she was we are fighting this battle on multiple fronts. It was like upstairs and then at the couch and anywhere we can negotiate. If you want to learn how to be a hostage negotiator, or a terrorist negotiator, have kids. And, um, and so she, finally she's in our room and we have given her now the king size memory foam bed. Uh, and so we're like, okay, um, this is the best we have. And so you have to lay down and take a nap. And she's fighting. And I said, honey, listen, what daddy, you need to learn surrender. What's that? It means that you trust mom and dad, that we know what's best for you because we have your best interest at heart. We want you to have a great life. We want you to have a great day. We're going to have a fun night at church but you have to trust mom and dad. Okay, so can you surrender? Oh, I don't know, you know. Listen, that's what God is saying to you today. Well, I'm fighting, I'm fighting, I won't do it, God, I'm, I can't, I'm fighting. Listen, do, do you trust me? Do you know that I have your best interest at heart? I'm acting like God's shaking your head, but he's not. It's, I just like to, I hold the box out when I speak. But God is, he's, he's, he's looking at you in the eyes and he's saying, do you trust me? Will, will you believe that I have your best interest at heart? That if you will, will go where I want you to go and do what I want you to do, if you'll trust me and walk with me, if you will surrender, that you won't lose, you will win. And that's where wisdom starts. And that's where wisdom comes in. When we see God in his rightful place, when we give him that rightful place on the throne of not just the whole world, but our world, and we, and we let God be in charge. This morning, if you're here 
and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you came to the right place. We're not just a church that has a great time and has popcorn and watches movies. We get to do that. It's great. But we are a place that exists to declare the gospel, the good news, which is that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and for our sins so that you could be reconciled to God and come into his family and have a seat at his table and get full refrigerator rights so that you, your hope and trust and confidence could be in God. But this morning, it starts with surrender. It starts with saying, I am not going to continue to fight and fight for my own way. I'm going to surrender to God and trust him with my life. Now, I make you a guarantee. I guarantee you that if you will really surrender your life to God, he will never let you down. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I guarantee you that the road will be challenging, but I guarantee you that you will never walk it alone, that you will have brothers and sisters walking with you and that your life will be not just better because it's more happy or on the surface, but at a deep level, you will have life and hope and joy and peace and satisfaction in Jesus. He said, if you drink of me, I'm the water of life. You will never thirst again. And so if you will surrender to God today and you will bow your knee and you will say, Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all, then you will be made new. He'll give you eternal life. He'll restore you. It's an awesome offer. That's what the gospel is.